Hello dudes and dudettes, welcome to the So Damn Productive Podcast. I'm your host, Arman Kendri, and on this show, we interview some of the most productive of folk in India and ask them how the f*** they do it. Today, we had Ravi Venkateshan on the show, and his career resume is pretty insane. He was the chairman of Cummins India, chairman of Microsoft, member of the board of directors at Infosys, and the chairman of the board at Bank of Baroda. Holy shit, I know. And in this conversation, we spoke about Ravi's rules for success in the 21st century. We speak about how to build a growth mindset and why you need to become an entrepreneur to excel in our new world. You do not want to miss out on this episode, boys and girls. Trust me. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Ravi Venkateshan. Hey, Ravi, welcome to the So Damn Productive podcast. How are you? Excellent. I've been looking forward to this. Uh, as you know, we've tried very hard to uh, find a common time and I'm glad we're finally chatting, Arman. Yes. Awesome. And for the listeners, today is going to be a real treat. And I know I say it's going to be a real treat often, but today I promise you, I actually mean it's going to be a real, real treat. And the reason I say that is you would have heard in the intro me rattle off a lot of the titles that Ravi's had in his career. It's, it's insane of what he's achieved so far and what he's achieving right now. And today we're going to get into some of his core tenets to success. And Ravi, I heard this interview that I am going to link in the description below because I forget the name off the top of my head, but I was so fascinated by this interview because you talked about all these core tenets that people will need to be successful in the 21st century. More specifically, I wanted to start off with, you mentioned what it took you to be successful in your career is very different than what it will take next generations to be successful. There are different principles that you have to follow. And I loved how you framed your points around those principles that other people will need to be successful. And I wanted to start off with that point. Why is it different fundamentally from your time to right now for somebody? I think that's a superb uh, place to start, Arman, because look, the 21st century that we're in is not going to be anything like the 20th. So essentially in the last century after the Second World War, we had about 50 years of relative stability. Um, and mm -hmm. my parents' generation, my generation, I grew up in a time when the world was stable, predictable. And also we had some enormous sort of rising tides that lifted all our lives. So, for instance, we had globalization as India and China got connected to the rest of the world from a trade and people flow, talent flow. That, any, that essentially made my life what it is. I went to America to study and I started working there. Then I was able to go back and forth, work and live um, in Europe. And so um, that was a very, very powerful thing. Then we had the rise of the internet. And mm -hmm. that was, again, another giant uh, tide that lifted hundreds of millions of people out of poverty into the middle class and a few into the ranks of the affluent. The tw 21st century appears to be, you know, way more turbulent, way more chaotic, way more unpredictable. And the sort of name of the game is change. Mm -hmm. So the 
the world will change more in this hundred years, the 21st century, than in all of human history. And that's driven by a set of forces, for instance, technology. And, you know, we all know what things like AI are beginning to do and automation. Um, the impact of all of us humans on the planet and the way that's blowing back in the form of climate change and, you know, all kinds of environmental um, degradation and so forth is impacting lives in a very real way. The fact that more and more of us are living much longer and, you know, the first person who's going to live to be 150 has probably been born. So there are great consequences that most people don't think about in terms of what this much longer lifespan means to each of us and all of us. And so what this is resulting in a a world which people often use the word VUCA to describe. VUCA stands for volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. And it's actually a term that the U.S. Army coined in the 50s to describe the conditions on a battlefield. Okay, which is completely chaotic, the fog of war, where the lines of communication are disrupted, and you as a soldier have to figure out what to do to stay alive. <laughs> so the, the conditions on battle on a battlefield are not very different from what it seems to uh, be for a lot of us right now. Right. And therefore, the prescription for success that works so well for me and a lot of my friends, and maybe the next generation, will certainly not be particularly relevant here. In my time, all you had to do was, you know, get a reasonable education, get some good marks that landed you a good job. You kept your head low and tried to not piss off your boss or anybody around. And if you did that, you would have a reasonable run. You may change a couple of jobs, and then you could look forward to a a reasonable retirement. I mean, that is so not going to happen (laughs) for most people right now. So Uh what you need to do today is very different. And by and large, you have to be much more entrepreneurial, much more of a risk taker. Um, And you have to take charge of your life because if you don't, nobody else will. So I, I, I wanted to get into this idea of the growth mindset, but this idea of change, I think is a crucial topic to kind of explore because you're completely right. The idea of staying in one job is not even what anybody thinks about these days. It's it's always about constantly moving forward. And you also mentioned being entrepreneurial, which yeah. I think we have to get into. But this yeah. idea of change. Oh, sorry. Please, please. Go I ahead. said not only is the idea of a single job completely archaic, the idea of a job itself is archaic. Okay. I don't think most people are going to have jobs of the traditional sort where there is a benign employer and, you know, you spend a long time with them and in return for your incredible effort and commitment, you get all the benefits. I think even the tenure of a CEO, Arman, is now down to five and a half years. Mm -hmm. So there is no such thing as a stable job uh, and so forth. I think all of us have to think about gigs, projects and, you know, entrepreneurial adventures of different sorts. So let's get into that then. Uh, Let's get into why you think it's super important for us to be entrepreneurs. So we we were talking about entrepreneurship and the importance of everybody having an entrepreneurial mindset and focusing on gigs. Now, when it comes to gigs, 
the traditional folk in India, especially the, there's still a lot of us who feel the stability of a job is helpful, right? Because you have insurance, you have all this kind of stuff. Why are gigs something that we need to be thinking about moving forward? Because there aren't going to be so many jobs. So, um, sure, look, it was it's great to have a good job with a good organization. There's some predictability of income. There's stability so you can plan your life. You learn things. You, you know, that's your community, your co-workers. That's your real community. A lot of them become your friends. Uh, there is the thrill of achievement and the, you know, the joy of accomplishing things. All that comes from a, from a job. So what's mm-hmm. the problem? The problem is there are fewer and fewer jobs and more and more people seeking them. Um, mm-hmm. And the reason for the disappearance of jobs is a variety of factors. First is companies themselves are going through crazy amounts of change. And as they go through change, you know, they shed employees. So that happens all the time. And you just pick up today's newspaper and you'll read companies all over the world in India, everywhere else, you know, downsizing, shrinking, shedding employment, etc. Or ceasing to exist, just folding up and they don't exist. So that's one factor. Automation mm-hmm. is driving up productivity. And that's just mm-hmm. not and that can be robots which are automating physical work or they can be you know, software agents and AI, which is automating knowledge work. So what it means is that, you know, you need fewer and fewer people to to do the same amount of output. And as a result, there are fewer jobs and what jobs there are are a bit unstable in the sense you may you may be there and doing well and your boss thinks well of you, the company thinks well of you and boom, music stops and you're out on your butt. So as a result, more and more of us are going to have to figure out how to fend for ourselves. And there is this wonderful book, which is called The Passion Economy. And it says, look, the way to think about uh, the future is to find an intersection between what you love doing, what you're good at, and what somebody is willing to pay for. And perhaps you've already discovered that, Arman, I certainly have in the uh, last few years. So we need to find a way to combine these things. Uh, Some of us will be brave enough and a few of us will be successful to actually start a business that, you know, succeeds, that creates jobs and employment and opportunities Mm -hmm. for more people. But more and more of us are largely going to end up being self-employed in this fashion. Okay, Mm -hmm. and when I say gigs, I don't necessarily mean food delivery and Dunzo and these kind of low-level tasks. Um, For instance, uh, somebody who does these podcasts, and and then there's a subscription service that is welded to that. So Mm -hmm. suddenly you're able to make some money and support yourself. So it is finding these kinds of ways to make a living have fun, express your talent and interests. That's what we all have to seek. Also, the other reason for entrepreneurship is the world has enormous number of problems right now. I mean, you just look around you, there are problems locally, there are problems nationally, there are problems globally. The good news is every problem is also an opportunity in disguise waiting to be solved. So if you have... A lot, lot of plastics in, in the oceans and, the, and you know, the landfills are overflowing. Well, that's also 
an entrepreneurial opportunity for many, many, many people around recyclable materials, you know, uh, renewable packaging, or finding ways to recycle plastics and extract, you know, oil or whatever out of them. And there are businesses to be built. So what you want to do is get millions of more people attacking these problems uh, with Uh an entrepreneurial uh, mind. And that's how these problems are going to get solved, right? So climate change is not just going to be about governments legislating electric vehicles and a few guys building a lot of, um, you know, Tesla building a lot of EVs. And it is also about millions of entrepreneurs trying to find opportunity in climate adaptation. Okay. Right. So I think it's not just a defensive thing. It's also the largest opportunity out there. Yeah. And I completely agree. And when I moved from the U.S. to India, I'd never lived here before. Um, the first little bit of that was, ah, I don't know if I can live here. You know, India is like this, like that. All these things that you look at from a negative perspective. But then suddenly when I moved here, I was like, shit, there's so much opportunity here. Just like you're saying, like there's thousands of things that you can do that can be solved. And I see we, you want to add a point there. So please come in. No, I don't. I was just waving my hands. But no, that's the point. Many years ago, I read a quote which sticks with me it says an optimist sees an opportunity in every problem and a pessimist sees a problem in every opportunity so (laughs) i love that definition so problem and opportunity are two sides of the same coin and if you learn to see it that way there has never been more opportunity ever before in the planet which is the good news the thing is you have to be have the right mindset and skills to see opportunity and then to act on it and build a something out of it. Yeah, and I, I think that, that that was a real paradigm shift in my head. Yeah. And I, I want to get back into mindset. And, you know, a lot of the things that you said in your previous interview, I recently read some of those points in a book called Mindset by Carol Dweck. And that, that was a brilliant book. And I really want to get into that. But before we do, you talked about the passion economy. And you talked about this idea of what some people call ikigai as well, finding your, yeah, it's the exact same thing. So could you talk about how often you kind of think about this concept for yourself? How often do you self-evaluate to make sure you're in that center of the Venn diagram and you're on that path? Sure. So look, I left my last job, which was with Microsoft in 2011. And when I did, I really didn't have much of an idea what I wanted to do or what I could do next. I was just determined that I'm never again going to be an employee in a job reporting to a manager who I may or may not respect. I'm just not going to live that life anymore. So I set about doing a bunch of experiments around ideas I'd had um, of you know what I might do, things I enjoyed. And most things didn't work, but some of them did. And eventually, by 2013-14, I arrived at, the, at a portfolio of things I did and do, which were the combination of things I enjoy, things I'm good at, and some things that people value and are willing to pay for. Exactly that um, ikigai intersection or the passion economy. So essentially, I 
constructed a life, which is a portfolio of activities or projects. Now, some of them are serving on boards or advising some you know company, and they pay me well for my time. But I spend uh-huh. very little time on that. Right now, for instance, I probably spend about a day, maybe a day and a half a month on these kinds of things. Then a lot of my interests are in writing, teaching, mentoring, and I get a lot of jollies out of that. So it's a combination of what I'm good at and um, what I like doing. And I, you know, and I spend my time writing books, writing articles, giving these talks like this one. And then I've started a bunch of ventures um, to, you know, in the societal space, uh, for instance, game, where we are trying to create an entrepreneurial movement of a massive sort in, in the country. I constantly am evaluating what, how I'm spending my time, uh, what am I doing that, you know, I no longer enjoy or frankly doesn't seem, seems pointless. Then you try and discontinue right. that, create the space for something new. And so it's a, it's a dynamic process. It's a continuous evaluation and iteration. And generally speaking, for about 10 years now, it's now 10 years, um, I've been in the sweet spot of these three things. And I think that's people may say, yeah, fine, Ravi, that's fine for you to do at your career. You'd already had some success, made your money. But I, if I had to live my life again, you know, I, sure, after the first, I would have gone on this path much sooner. And is that because, and, and that was the, the question that was in my head, is that because you feel better doing what you do now? Or is it because you're making more money? What is the difference between what it was before and today in terms of how you feel? Number one feeling is I'm more in control of my time and my life. Okay, yeah. I can get up in the morning and today I can reasonably decide I'm not going to do much. I'm just going to sit and think or you know, I'm going to renew myself doing some gardening or I'm going to go off somewhere, whatever. And I don't have people who are depending on me to show up and, you know, be there. So that right. sense of freedom of my, my, around my time and my life and priorities and who I choose to spend time with and who I don't want to is, <laughs> is perhaps the single most satisfying thing. The second thing is I generally have chosen things that where I can make a difference, uh-huh. okay, either to individuals or, you know, to the world at large. And so I feel that I'm perhaps adding more value and making the world better, uh, more. I'm contributing more to that today than I did as, you know, CEO of Microsoft India or chairman of Bank of Baroda or any of those kinds of things. So impact would be the second one. Um, I'm making way less money than I did, and that's a conscious choice, and it's okay. Because mon- I have enough. You actually don't need a huge amount to live a reasonable lifestyle. Um, and fortunately, I got there some time ago. Um, but I make a fraction of what a lot of people with the same education and experience do today. And it's a conscious choice, And but money also comes with shackles. And I don't have the shackles they have. So, you know, I've traded off money for freedom. Can can I ask you, and sorry to get very specific here, but I I really like to to dive into these kind of things. 
Because I 100% agree with you. Whenever somebody tells you you have to be somewhere at a certain point, I feel like some part of you dies inside a little bit. You know, you feel, like you said, shackled. What, what does that release of the shackles do for you in terms of your health, first of all? Like, is that better? Anything, please uh, take that and, and yeah, go, well, go for it. When I was an employee, I was... Live, I was um, working very long hours, I had a lot of stress because mostly you're dealing as a CEO, you're dealing with problems. If there if there weren't problems, they don't need you. So there are either business situations or people situations where you have to intervene. So you're constantly dealing with stressful issues. I was traveling 15, 18 days a month, you know, on a plane Whoa. somewhere. For that, you have to race to the airport early morning or you land late at night. You're, you're eating food, which is essentially unhealthy. There's no possibility of a routine for exercise. And you're stressed. And so you're very short and transactional with people, including your own family and friends. And, they, you know, so people used to say, wow, Ravi, you're looking really tired. Now people look at me and say, wow, Ravi, you seem to be getting younger and younger. You know, th that's the difference. I have more energy. I get... and. I work really hard Arman, even today, but I work at my pace and I work on the issues I care about with the people I like working with. And therefore I am rarely stressed. I may have like today is a bad day in terms of the amount of work I have to tasks I have to accomplish, but you know, I'm not stressed about it. It's just work. And so you just go through the list and check off things, but I don't have this sense of dread I don't have anxiety, I don't have fear, I don't have these emotions which are very negative and sap your energy and cause you to wilt. Right, and, and that there's something about being able to sleep in if your body requires it, and like you're saying, to listen to your body when it tells you to do something. So for example, in this morning, you said you could take it a little bit easier if you wanted to, and then you start work when you want to, you read when you want to, you do everything when you want to, and you just feel like you're more of in a flow. Um, is that how you experience it? Indeed, indeed. So one of my favorite books is one that uh, I'm reading right now, and it's called... Being Nobody and Going Nowhere. Yeah. Awesome. And it's a, it's a Buddhist book, and I highly recommend it to anyone who's uh, tuning in and listening to this uh, conversation. It's called Meditations on the Buddhist Path. It is one of the most influential things because you realize you're fine as you are, okay? And you really don't have to achieve something in order to be good. Um, and, you know, you don't have to be somebody else in order to feel good about yourself. You're fine as you are. And from that space, if you operate, yeah, life is much better. And I actually think I'm way more productive than nice. I used to be. I mean, when you say, oh, oh, in the beginning you introduced me, oh, all these amazing things Ravi is done or doing. If you notice, all of them happened after I gave up full-time employment because I had the freedom and the space to really flower. And that's the opportunity for everyone. I, I think that's that's honestly such a powerful point 
in the sense that beginning your career doing that is definitely a bigger challenge in the sense that because you have to you have to really make that money please, no, please I, w- I would say it is fantastic in the early part of your career to have a job with a good organization that is tough that throws big big challenges at you because that's how your character gets shaped that's how you learn you build skills and you make a bit of money but at some point you need to say that's enough that's i have my launching pad now i'm going to go off on my own trajectory and maybe it takes 10 years to get there maybe for somebody else it's 5 the point is not to die captive <laughs> right <laughs> i love that and uh you know i i think that's that's again just super powerful in, in the sense that you you talked about health right and i think this is something that employers undervalue heavily in the sense that everybody is overworked every employee friend i know has, has bags under his eyes or her eyes they're stressed they feel like shit because their manager just shouted at them and that causes your career to have to end at 55 and and when i think about work and and this is because some people in my family They've worked until they're 80. And I just think, like, why would I not want to do anything after a certain age, right? But it happens to people because you're, you're just forced into these shackles and your health deteriorates much faster. So I, I do feel it has a positive effect on your health as well. And I, one thing that you said earlier stuck with me was that now you understand that you don't have to have this thing called we call it achievement. And you've learned it through this book, Right. What was your mental model for that while you were in these jobs as CEO, right? What was your thinking? Like, I have to be the CEO of this company. I have to go from there. What was that like? The point is that as uh, many of us and myself, I'm probably one of the worst um, sort of examples of this. We get on an achievement treadmill mm-hmm. and it happens unconsciously and it happens very early in life, right? When you're a, you know, a young child going to school, you know, your parents and teachers applaud and reward you and recognize you and shower love when you do well. Uh And they are not so affectionate and loving when you don't do well. Uh So as a young person, you start getting conditioned. Oh, the love and the affection and the recognition is conditional. It's conditional on my being a star at sports or star at studies or an all-rounder, better yet, then the same thing happens. And so you start getting on this achievement treadmill that goes stays with you through college. Then you get into a job. And then you find that the company and your manager are nicer to you when you are both obedient and respectful, as well as you, are, you turn in astonishing results. And so you continue to do that. And now by now you're hooked on recognition. You'll do anything for that praise, that promotion, that raise. And you're like a dog that's, you know, conditioned to doing tricks for a little Uh treat, for treats. And at some point you need need to, you wake up and you say, well, this is just not fun anymore. I'm just not having uh, fun performing this way. And that's sort of a midlife crisis. And people react differently. But, you know, if you're smart, you'll start saying, look, I need to 
shed this conditioning which is in my mind. My mind has been programmed in a really harmful way. I'm going to get uh, redo this, the programming of my mind. I'm going to redefine what success means, and I'm going to live my life um, using my own success metrics. Now, this is a very simple sentence. It is incredibly hard to do. It's like you know, a cocaine addict, you know, having to wean themselves off a drug habit. Much worse than that. It's much deeper. Right. So it has taken me 10 years to, you know, by and large, overcome uh, this, these things and get off that treadmill. So what, what are your success metrics today? How are you judging yourself? I think I, by and large, I would say three things. I'm just making it up now. One sure. is, look, am I making the world a little better every day? Okay. So, and what does that mean? It could mean small things like you're kind to people and you made their day with a you know, nice remark saying, Arman, brilliant job on this podcast. I just loved it. I think you're awesome. And you go away feeling good about yourself. So small things like this or bigger things, it doesn't matter. So leaving the world a little bit better for your passage is one metric. I think right. a second really important one is who's in control of my life? Is it me or is it my mind? You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Many people don't realize that, you know, but they're, we have this thing called a monkey mind. And mostly we are doing what it tells us to do. Hey, let me have a cup of coffee right now. Or instead of a healthy meal, let, let me go order that pizza or whatever. And, uh-huh. you, and you do that. Whereas you know it's not good for you. Or you want to exercise, but your mind says, nah, not today. Let's just sleep in a little extra hour today. And you say, sure. And you give it. So for me, the conquest of my monkey mind is a big metric of my success. Okay. And a third one would be, am I having fun? I mean, all said and done, the world is just, with all its problems, just an incredible place. It's full of beauty. It's full of love. It's full of lots of wonderful things. And am I enjoying it? Okay. So I look at my window here and there are beautiful flowers. There are lots of birds. Just am I pausing for a second to notice and appreciate how beautiful it is? Right. So these would be more my metrics of success uh, than achievement and all that. Because no matter what I achieve, there's more to achieve. Somebody else has achieved more. There's no end to that. There's just no end. So I've just stopped using those metrics. That is, that's awesome. And I think you're so right. This achievement treadmill is something that I'm going to keep in my head from now on because I, I definitely feel that my conditioning is very much that. And Yeah, even if you're doing something you love with this these conversations, hmm, how many listeners do I have? Okay, what is the engagement score? Am I the most successful podcast in this, you know, category or not? Okay, well, you get into that treadmill. There was there's the story of this man who gave up Wall Street because he was sick of that treadmill and, you know, all that it made. And he went off to Tibet to become a Buddhist monk. Okay. But very soon he relapsed into his old ways. He started comparing the quality of his meditation with that of the monks next to him. <laughs> so he was still on the achievement treadmill, except it's now about how, how long am I meditating and did I 
experience God in that or not. <laughs> so we have to shed this. Right. And I, I think that's, that's, that's a huge challenge. And I, you know, that conditioning, I feel a lot of it is governed by your friends. Just like you said in this story of the US person who went to Tibet, oh, am I meditating better than that guy, right? And it's the same for all of us. We, we don't consciously say it, but I, I think all of us think of it. Am I doing better? Am I driving a better car? Am I, is my house better, right? Whatever it is, you know, even if you're out there doing good, Am I doing more good than the other do-gooder? <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter what the theater is, the stage uh-huh. is. You have to get out of this competitive mindset, this um, comparison mindset. So do you, and, and again, this, this is a pretty deep question. You don't have to answer it. Do you feel you're completely out of it or do you still feel you're, no, you're still there? There are days, see, how do you overcome 40 years of conditioning overnight? Right. You don't. What I can say is there are the instances when I get into that lapse into this competitive or comparison mindset, the achievement treadmill are fewer and fewer and they last shorter and shorter periods. Right. So, you know, I look at, oh, maybe I shouldn't have left Microsoft. The company is doing so spectacularly. Had I stayed on, I would be worth so much. Look at this guy. He was actually working for me. Look what where he has reached now. Um, these kind, yeah, kind of feelings are irrelevant, and they but they still happen. But it's more and more occasional, and then I quickly dismiss it and keep moving on. But it's not gone. It's there. Right, and I I think that's again that's just for all listeners. It's. Something to consider early because most of the listeners of the show, Ravi, are between 18 and 25. So again, like thinking about that achievement treadmill early and not conditioning yourself there is important. Yeah, but look, I, if they are 18 to 25, they still need to have the thrill of achievement. Right. Okay. Having achieved you should question where, you know, whether it was what, what you wanted or not. Uh, the last message I wouldn't want to be able to give is to say, don't bother achieving. That is the wrong message. That's not what I intend. I do think it is very important to try, strive, achieve success, enjoy the, some of the fruits of it, and then realize from that, that it doesn't bring you the joy that you expected and then to be able to redefine success. Okay. I will not say don't even bother trying. Right. And that's not, that that's not at all what I've taken away. I, and I could, I I very much hear what you're saying there. And I also think to add on, because kind of what I've grasped from this, it's again, it's not about not achieving. It's kind of about achieving on your own terms. Correct. But you know, the, the, um, in Hinduism, you have an old concept about living life in four stages. Uh-huh. First as a student, then as a householder. And in that householder phase, you do all these things. You, are, you get a job, you make money, you start a family, you acquire possessions, you enjoy worldly success in all its forms. Having enjoyed and tasted that, you make the transition to the next stage where you realize all these things 
were not hugely meaningful in a fundamental sense. And then you move to this third stage called Vanaprast, where you try to redefine success on your own terms and you uh -huh. simplify your life. And then finally, you move to the final stage, which is sannyasi, where you renounce. So I, I think there is a lot of wisdom and parallels for the modern world in these four stages. Obviously, they manifest differently. But that stage where you achieve professional success, enjoy the fruits of it, have a family and a vibrant social life is very important. But then to wake up probably in your 40s to say, yeah, okay, but now let me redefine what success means on my terms and live my life on my terms is, is very important. That's what I'm talking about. Right, and I think that, that that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, just off of what you just said, referencing another book, I got to ask you this because in every interview that I've seen you in and in this interview as well, you're able to quote books, which I find very crazy because I'm able to talk about concepts, right? I think we all can remember, this is what happened in a movie, this is what happened in a book, but you are able to tell me the exact sentence that the author wrote. How, how the hell do you do that? I don't know, it just sticks. I, from very early childhood, like many people, I developed a reading habit. I love books. Um, what has happened over the years is I still read a lot, but I read much more widely. Okay. The breadth of my reading has vastly increased. In the beginning, it was just engineering and science because I loved it. Then I added business. And for a long time, I just used to devour primarily business books. Then I added history. Now I read everything. If you look at just the, I have many bookshelves, but the current bookshelves uh, is The Industrial Arts of India. It's a book written about 1880. It's a very old book. And it's a British era book on the industrial arts and crafts of India. I'm reading Ramakrishna and his disciples. Uh, wow. I'm reading Freeman Dyson's book called uh, Disturbing the Universe and so on. So I, I read much more widely. And as a result, some things stick very often, as you say, they're ju it's just a concept or an idea. Uh -huh. But sometimes the very words imprint themselves. So what I would encourage people to do who are listening in is really do develop the reading habit. Today, because of the rise of social media, the rise of video, um, people are ingesting information, but they're ingesting it in very different forms and typically in super short forms. And I think there is something about brain development and neural development, which I'm not expert on which says that making the effort to read long form is actually super important for your mental development. And it's both. It's not a, you know either or. Um, but I would say that reading habit is very crucial. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I've just started reading and it's, it's made a big difference in my ability to focus, like you're saying. And Ravi, I think we are running out of time. So I think that's a great place for us to wrap up. I want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. I honestly really enjoyed it. Well, I did too. Uh, I'm, I hope we got something of value to your listeners. And I look forward to being in conversation again soon. Definitely. And to the listeners, thank you so much for tuning in again. We will see you next week. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the So Damn Productive podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation with Ravi. And if you did, dude, hit this podcast up with a follow and I'm going to love you forever. Now onto my unsolicited advice for the week. When you're in an elevator, dude, it's perfectly normal to look at yourself in the mirror while you're heading down. Don't feel compelled to turn around and look at the front when somebody walks in. Trust me, own it, dude. You gotta look fresh for whatever it is you're about to do, dude. And that's it, boys and girls. I will see y'all in the next one. Peace.